How do we know that the coins weren't stolen rather than, you know, transferred out? Actually, uh, we don't. Uh, one was that after the fall of Singapore in September 1942, um, I found a Singapore Library report mentioning that someone had actually broken a glass exhibition case and that 10 ancient gold coins were taken from the Raffles Museum itself. So the Raffles Library and Museum actually inherited the Singapore Library materials. So if the coins were still at the museum, this is the next possibility, right? But the reason why I think it might have, must have happened before is that when I was looking through the exhibition lists of you know items at the Raffles Museum, I wasn't able to find the coins so this is why I think they might have been transferred earlier. So it's a, I use an Occam's razor kind of thing. Sometimes the simplest explanation is probably, I mean, it's not very sexy. There were other break-ins. And so it might have been one of the break-ins uh, at the Raffles Museum in the 1890s, for example. When they wrote the 100 Years of Singapore, all they have is basically the transliteration of the coins. You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some familiar, others forgotten, all fascinating. Hi everyone, my name is Jimmy Yap and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of BiblioAsia, a publication of the National Library of Singapore. In today's episode, we're going to dive into the mystery of two ancient gold coins that were discovered in Singapore in the middle of the 19th century and that later went missing. With me today is Fu Shu Ting, a librarian of the National Library who is also an archaeologist. She's written about these coins in BiblioAsia, and she's going to help us to get to the bottom of this mystery. Welcome back to BiblioAsia Plus, Shu. How are you? Good. How are you? I've been very good, although it's been a hot day. <laughs> Can you start off by telling us more about these coins? When and where were they found? Okay, so uh, picture this. Um, in the early parts uh, of uh, Singapore's history, Singapore was actually a penal colony. And so around 1840, they were trying to build a road to the new harbour, which is now Keppel Harbour. And so these convicts, when they were actually uh, building the road, they discovered some coins. So it's possible that the coins might have been part of a settlement uh, or it's possible that they might have been part of a graveyard. We don't know. There was a map that I found um, that's now with the NES. It's, I think it's part of the Singapore Land Authority collection that actually depicts the area in the 1840s. And so we think that's the best shot. Unfortunately, there's uh, just a few houses depicted on the map. And so we were not quite sure what happened back then. The land belonged to Tamangong Ding Ibrahim. Basically, the, the Tamangong actually purchased them from the convicts. And eventually, in 1849, when the Singapore Library was set up and all that, he actually donated them. And so the Strait Settlements governor, uh, Butterworth, he actually presented them on behalf of the Temenggong. And so the Singapore Library had it on display in the reading room, just like you'll see some paintings you know, displayed in our reading room today. Uh, and so in the 1860s and 70s, the Singapore Library then went into, let's just say, financial difficulties. It was because of a few factors. There were things like the readership actually being majority military. And so when they actually had to leave Singapore, many of the readership actually pulled out. And so that base, initial base, was actually no longer there. And so 
when they fell into financial difficulties, that's when they had to move libraries. So I think this is the most likely time it went missing. Maybe there was an administrative transfer somewhere else. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, if the coins were discovered during this period, where could they have gone? And so I looked through other important early coins to figure out, okay, this coin went here, this coin went there. And so from there, possibly people can try and see whether or not they can trace back that discovery. But, you know, this is not just the only, you know, possibility. There could be other times when the coins went missing. So, uh, Shu-Sing, that's very interesting, but how do we know that the coins weren't stolen rather than, you know, transferred out? Actually, uh, we don't. Uh, one was that after the fall of Singapore in September 1942, um, I found a Singapore Library report mentioning that someone had actually broken a glass exhibition case and that 10 ancient gold coins were taken from the Raffles Museum itself. So the Raffles Library and Museum actually inherited the Singapore Library materials. So if the coins were still at the museum, this is the next possibility, right? But the reason why I think it might have, must have happened before is that when I was looking through the exhibition lists of you know items at the Raffles Museum, I wasn't able to find the coins. So this is why I think they might have been transferred earlier. So it's a, I use an Occam's razor kind of thing. Sometimes the simplest explanation is probably, I mean, it's not very sexy. There were other break-ins. And so it might have been one of the break-ins uh, at the Raffles Museum in the 1890s, for example. When they wrote the 100 Years of Singapore, all they have is basically the transliteration of the coins. So but that's what I think happened. Is theft of artifacts, is that like a relatively common thing in the museum world? Actually, yes. Uh, it's actually a fairly common thing. I think, I don't know if you've read the newspaper articles recently, but I think in August, the British Museum alone mentioned uh, more than like 1,300 artifacts stolen recently. It's fairly common, often surprisingly related to either uh, crime syndicates, uh, sometimes terrorist funding. So these are, you know, issues that plague us all. But if you want to know a good book about this particular issue, it's called Southeast Asia's Past, Objects, Museums, and Restitution. What's the significance of these coins? What does it tell us about Singapore's history? So I think this might surprise you about uh, ancient Singapore, is that the majority of the coins that we find in archaeological excavations from, let's say, the 14th century are mostly northern Song. So these are coins from the northern Song dynasty. Um, they date from, I guess, 11th to, I would say, like uh, 12th century. The majority are from there because they're considered expired coins. So when uh, China and Southeast Asia came to trade, they would use this as sort of like the worth in metal value, right? And so in Southeast Asia, there was a booming trade. Um, in East Java, for example, um, the Majapahit actually used these coins to pay for fines officially and things like that. And so Singapore was probably using these coins for long distance trade, that kind of thing. But we're not sure. There's a lot of evidence to indicate that Singapore at the time was in contact with a lot of different traders along the Malay Peninsula and also in Sumatra. And so the significance of these two coins in particular is that they're actually Islamic. They depict a very different period from the 17th century, which we thought that was maybe, you know, this 14th century period, which is the Tomasek period. And then uh, later on, you know, there was a fishing village in the 1819. That's like the, the general, you know, Singapore history, right? 
over time, in the past couple of decades, historians have actually started to uncover more historical documents that say that in the 17th, 18th century, actually there was something else in Singapore. These coins actually show that there was something happening here, especially at the Lubanga. What there was and to what extent, a scholar by the name of Dr. Peter uh, Boschberg at the National University of Singapore found a particular, I think it's like a archival material about the Flemish gem trader by the name of Jacques de Couture. He mentioned that, you know, in Sentosa, there was uh, Orang Laut there and trade and things like that. So there was also a harbor master in the area. So I suspect that this coin might be related to that. And so maybe these coins were used for regional trade. It shows that there was economic activity in the 17th century in, in Singapore. Right, and it, it might have something to do with trade of Aceh as well. That's right. So Shu Ting, you decided to do something interesting with these coins because actually there are no photos of these coins. We don't know really what they look like, uh, but we do have the text. Uh, we we do know what was written uh, on the coins. They were written in Jawi, and they were then transliterated. But you decided that this wasn't good enough. What made you decide to relook the transcriptions on these coins? When I was looking at the original 1849 Singapore Library Report, I realized that the transliteration was wrong. I was comparing them to more modern research about the coins, and I was looking at the coins and they didn't make sense. So I suspected that it might have been wrong. And so I, I think it might have been, been an issue with like thinking that there are similar words. It's like having like in Chinese, for example, uh, just one stroke or a couple strokes wrong could be something completely different, right? And so I thought this could have also happened with the coins because it's an Arabic script. The coins might not have been very good copies. They might have been worn. And so I asked a couple of my colleagues to actually help me try to figure this out. So basically what I did was I brought over the books that had the Arabic versions of the names of kings in Aceh. And then I asked them to transliterate the English versions back into Jawi. And then I compared these to see whether or not there were similar names or similar symbols. And since the two coins had something in common, which is the sort of backside of the coin, so I suspected that they might have been from the same king or similar dynasty, something like that. So that's where we started our journey. And from there, we proposed uh, a theory. Uh, of course, you know, researchers can always chime in with other theories, but we really think that this is probably one of the sort of most plausible plausible explanations, basically. Yeah. Okay, have you heard back from anyone? I mean, you, you must, uh, having done the transliteration of these coins into and, and gotten a new sort of translation, did John Mexic say anything? Uh, unfortunately, John Mexic is not versed in Jawi, so somebody who is actually versed in Jawi would be able to uh, do further research. So there has been great interest. From example, I've noticed a lot of people visiting from Malaysia because I think in, in Malaysia, Jawi is actually, you know, a, a potential course that you can learn during your schooling days. So anybody can, you know, sort of try and see what it means on their own. And so there could be something else we can, you know, look forward to in the next five to ten years. Okay. Hopefully. So Has anyone been in touch with you about your article? Mr. William Gibson, he was studying about karamats in Tlokbanga. He contacted me recently because the coins were obviously found in Tlokbanga area. And so he was looking uh, at karamats in the area. And so he, you know, saw that, hey, this is something interesting. So, yeah, so we compared notes. And he, he does think that the first coin is correct. The second coin, still, you know, up, up for grabs. But I think, 
know, we have the, one of the plausible answers, if not the plausible answer. So, okay, that's great. We have the Malay coins and mainly Northern Song coins. Anything else? Primarily Northern Song coins, but the earliest coin that we've found actually dates from the Tang Dynasty. With the discovery of the you know shipwreck artifacts, it's possible that there are more. So. Uh, I haven't looked at all the materials yet, but from the ones that I've seen from the land-based sites, they're mostly from the Northern Song period. But Tang Dynasty ones, I mean, they could have been heirloom objects, that kind of thing. So um, it's difficult to say. Thank you very much, Shooting, for that very interesting overview of the mysterious Malay coins uh, that were found in Singapore. For you know more information about these amazing coins, uh, and how shooting sort of reverse engineered the whole transliteration process. You know, please read the article in Biblio Asia. But we've now come to that part of the interview where we do quick fire questions. So shooting, tell me a common misconception about archaeology that really annoys you. The most annoying question is they think archaeology is about finding dinosaurs. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> really, yeah. So uh, just to be clear, it's paleontology. If you're interested in dinosaurs, uh, if you're interested in archaeology, it's about humans. So just to make that clear, it's a few million years apart. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, is there an archaeological, not paleontological, but an archaeological mystery that you would like to to solve, you know, besides this gold, these gold coins? Okay, so... Um, other than coins, another ancient trading item was cowrie shells. So it basically is, it performs the same function as uh, the coins, but uh, it's a little harder to study uh, because obviously uh, there are fewer re- written records about it. But they use these cowrie shells during the slave trade and they used them all up to like the, the mid-19th century. And so in Singapore, there's some remnants of it you can see like it's often mentioned cowrie shells in trading reports but to what extent and you know how big the trade was that's a question to be answered so that's something that i'd be interested in studying yeah what is a cowrie shell i mean it's a sea, it's a seashell it's, it's a seashell it, yes. it's like it's flat it's like does it it's like a snail what does it look like uh, it's uh, about the size of your thumb if you look at down at it uh people uh, have started using the uh, the coins as the, the uh, sorry the shells as money probably since the eighth century onwards, and so we suspect it goes back even further. The historical evidence is a, a bit rare, so they go all the way from Africa all the way to like uh, Thailand, Vietnam, even some parts of southern China, and so there was this cowrie trade that was going back and forth. Those dangton drums, sometimes you can see in the museums in Southeast Asia, those actually were full of cowrie shells in southern China. In Southeast Asia, for example, the dangton drums are there, but without cowrie shells. We don't know why. So there's some weird thing going on, right? For example, Sukhothai, they were using uh, these cowrie shells often for small change. And so this extended all the way south to the Kadat area. But whether they extended all the way south to Johor or even Singapore, Another question. What's your favorite archaeological movie or archaeological pop culture moment? You know the Tomb Raider game that was rebooted? Um, I think it was maybe 2013 now, so maybe it's an older game. But I saw there was a a Southeast Asian uh, pot inside as one of the artifacts there. I was like, oh, yes, they thought of us. 
uh, I was like, yes, Banchang uh, pottery. I was like, yes, this is the moment for us to shine, that kind of thing. So that was my favorite moment, but I'm not sure if uh, others would feel the same. So, Complete the sentence, archaeology is? Archaeology is life. What does that mean? It's knowing that the past is discoverable. And so it gives you life's mission. And so the library also is sort of gives you a mission where you think that the past is discoverable, right? So we're all working in concert, basically. So. And uh, what are you working on now these days? You'll be surprised, but it's nothing to do with archaeology. Uh, I'm working on a couple of encyclopedia articles on uh, the paramedic and ambulance. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure this will make it to the final cut. Okay. <laughs> But that's what I'm working on, honestly, okay. right? So, Okay, Shu thanks for joining us on BiblioAsia Plus today. Uh, to learn more about these mysterious gold coins, check out Shu article on the BiblioAsia website at biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. Thanks, Shu Thank you, Jimmy. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to this podcast and the BiblioAsia newsletter. Thanks for joining us on BiblioAsia Plus.